Good morning. Uh, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jessica Linderman. Uh, I am Emily Butte's sister, and so I decided I could crash the party today. So uh, I've had the awesome opportunity to hang out with my nieces and nephews uh, a lot over the last few weeks, and so couldn't pass up the opportunity to also come to Ridgecrest, hang out with them this weekend, and crash uh, their weekend to spend with you. So I apologize if this offends anyone, but uh, I uh, am excited to, to be here, and I talked with Ryan, and he decided that he could cut a few minutes off of his sermon for you today uh, and give me uh, the opportunity just to give you a quick update uh, in, in my life and what's going on uh, with, uh, with ministry. So I still work uh, with International Sports Federation uh, based out of just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And, you know, we're a sports missions organization that organizes short-term volunteer trips that use sports and recreation as our platform uh, to share Christ. And uh, so in 2016, uh, kind of just some stats, we had the opportunity to mobilize 61 volunteers uh, who served on eight projects to six different countries. Uh, so we actually sent three teams to Portugal, um, and they served in three different cities, Lisbon, Braga, and Sintra. And then we also sent a team to Southeast Asia, a team to Slovenia, and then our last three teams here in July uh, went to Belize, Brazil, and Kenya. Uh, so it was a, a busy a busy summer for us um, in, in organizing seven of, seven of those projects uh, in June and July um, and having all of our summer volunteers come through Atlanta for training. Um, but uh, it was just an awesome, awesome summer. Uh, still getting some of the reports in from our summer teams, uh, but wanted to share just a few of the highlights uh, for uh, for some of our teams, our team to Southeast Asia, we actually send a competitive basketball team and they go and they play against other teams and then also do basketball uh, clinics um, in some schools. And the cool thing about uh, this opportunity for them is they go and play a friendly game, but it's still competitive. You still want to win. Um, but then after the game, they invite the team out to dinner and uh, they get to to go uh, to a local cafe, they spread out among the tables and make sure they're mixed up uh, between the Americans and uh, then the nationals there uh, with translators at different tables and just share a meal together, um, have conversation. Um, and it was really cool that uh, during one of those dinners, uh, one of the guys on our team was able to lead a man uh, to the Lord. Um, over dinner that night, and so that was that was super super exciting. Um, and in that type of culture, um, they definitely have to count the cost. And one of the other guys who actually traveled with the team for the whole week, he's like, "I hear what you're saying, and I'm interested, but I got to go home and talk to my family because this is this is a big deal, and I know that this is uh, that there's going to be some sacrifices I have to make, and I just I don't know yet." Um, and so you can pray. This guy's name is Jay. Um, he's definitely, he heard the gospel. He translated the gospel for this team while they were there for three weeks. Um, and so continue to lift up Jay, um, that he would have the opportunity to continue to hear uh, the truth and that he would uh, come to understand that it's worth uh, it, the sacrifice and worth uh, whatever the cost is for him. Uh, um, the second team I wanted to mention, uh, we started a new basketball camp in Sintra, Portugal uh, this summer. And it, it was awesome uh, to see that they really, from what our work in Lisbon over the last few years, they basically jumped to year three um, and in where they are. And 
the, the missionaries that we're working with are partnering with a local church, and they're getting ready to launch a Bible study, which took us three years to do in Lisbon, and they're already getting ready to do in, in Sintra. And so um, super excited about that, and you could be just praying for that, that there will just continue to be a good response, that this local church would continue to see the door that the ISF team has created um, in connecting them with that basketball club there and within that community, and that they would just walk through those open doors of being able to, to start a ministry there to those basketball players. We, our team to Kenya was a new group. Uh, we w- worked with a new partner in Nairobi this summer. And our team was probably the least athletic team that we sent this summer. Um, and so what they did is they hosted a soccer tournament. That's all they did. Because the Americans came to town, uh, our partner organized a soccer tournament um, in brought in teams, and they played against each other. We hired local referees uh, to referee the game. And then after the game, um, our team split each of those teams into small groups and just sat down and basically had a little small devotional time with them, shared a Bible story, shared their testimony. And through that time over the week uh, with these players, we had about 25 to 30 um, of the youth uh, make decisions for Christ. And then through that, because we partner with people who are ministering full-time, they are already put into discipleship groups um, and are, have the opportunity on a weekly basis to come together with other believers, continue to, to grow and understand what that means to be a follower of Christ. And um, so that's just a huge blessing for our team to be a part of that. And a non-athletic people, you don't have to be athletes to go and serve in sports missions, but just being available, God was able to use them and draw uh, some of these youth to himself. So... Uh, just, just, uh, just very exciting to see what God can do through people who are willing to go. And then the final uh, team that I want to just mention is our Brazil team. This is our second time sending a team to Brazil and they go in and they do kids sports camps. Uh, but honestly, the biggest ministry is to the local pastor. Uh, this pastor is out in the rural, rural parts of Brazil and he's working alone. Um, and it's a hard place. Um, I mean, he's a national Brazilian, but it's a it's a hard place and and just trying to connect and build his church and strengthen his church. And um, we met him two years ago when the team went And the first night our team uh, was in Brazil. Uh, he came by and met them for dinner and he started crying and he said, it's been so hard and I have felt so alone. But because you are here to work with me this week, I know that God has something uh, and has a work for me to continue to, to work. And so that was our, our team accomplished, you know, their goal very, very early on. And just being an encouragement to that pastor to say, hey, we're going to come alongside you. Yeah, it's only going to be for a week, about every other year, because that's what we can do right now. But we're here and we're praying for you and we're not going to leave you alone. Um, and so just something simple like that, by just being there, our team um, was able to allow the spirit to work. Uh, work through them. Um, so it's been a great summer, uh, for, for ISF and, and super cool. Um, and just seeing all the stories and, uh, seeing the pictures that our teams are posting on Facebook and, and that type of thing. So just to kind of wrap up with a, just a personal story. Um, as many of you probably know, I've been traveling to Lisbon, Portugal a lot over the last, um, almost six years now that I've been, uh, with ISF. So I've been to Lisbon seven times. Um, it's literally become a second home. I literally, I can get off the airplane, get on the metro, get to my hotel, get to the mall. I can really do whatever I want. I mean, it's like coming back to Ridgecrest. Like, I, I just know my way around now. It's very familiar, very much, um, at home. And, 
uh, just excited to see the work that the Bible study that was started because of our basketball camp about three years ago is now transitioning into a church plant. And so uh, that's been what they've been working on uh, since the first of the year and been very consistent um, in meeting um, and moving from just once a month to twice a month into this summer they were meeting almost weekly uh, there. And so that's that's been super uh, exciting. And so there's a young man who's uh, been really involved um, in the church plant. His name is Zay, and he was actually the first uh, guy that came to know Christ through our, our spring break basketball camp. And so during that second year of basketball camp, I actually I don't remember meeting Zay that year. Because uh, I was outside working with the older kids, and he was a, a translator with one of the groups. But he accepted Christ um, through the ministry of that of that basketball camp, and got into some discipleship with the missionary, and began just to grow. Um, and uh, our team just kind of took Zay under his wing, and we all became friends on Facebook. We've kept in touch with him, and he's become like a brother uh, to to our ISF team there. And so this this past kind of Christmas break and New Year's, there's a big conference for college students in Atlanta called Passion, the Passion Conference. And so um, it's put on every year uh, right um, right around New Year's, and it's held there in Atlanta. And they have like twenty to 30,000 college students that come together. This year they also hosted it in Houston and then in a, in a second arena just outside of Atlanta. Um, so this this big deal. And so one of our... Uh, the guys that goes to Portugal with me had this great idea. He's like, let's bring some of our Portuguese friends over for the Passion Conference. I said, John Kelso, that is a great idea. How are we going to fund this? And he said, I'll take care of it. So John worked his contacts and raised probably about $12,000. And uh, so that we paid, we brought these guys, we brought seven, the missionary and six uh, Portuguese youth over to Atlanta for a week of seeing the highlights, uh, touristy stuff. Uh, getting, uh, we went, uh, to a Georgia Tech basketball game. Uh, we actually got tickets to the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl for free. I mean, we worked all of our contacts and just, uh, had a great time with these guys, uh, showed, showed them all the heights. But then the big deal was to go to the Passion Conference, this three-day conference and hearing, you know, Louis Giglio and John Piper and Christine Kane and just these dynamic speakers, um, and five of, well, Five of the guys were believers, but two of them were not. Uh, two of them uh, were just really good friends with him, and we knew that the Lord was working um, in their hearts, but we invited them anyways. So anyways, during the the, the, the Passion Conference, Zay uh, just really heard the Lord speaking to him that he needs to get a little bit more vocal. He needs to, to step up a little bit more in, in sharing, in evangelizing, um, and being able to talk about what God's doing in his life. And so... Zay had the opportunity to stay in America uh, for about three months. And during that time, uh, he was staying with our friend John Kelso. And Kelso set up some opportunities for Zay to share his testimony. So while he was in America, Zay shared his testimony in English, his second language, um, with some, some groups and really began to gain some confidence. And so he flew back with us in March for the basketball camp. And um, Zay's the star player of the basketball club. And so it's a big deal. When Zay speaks, the kids listen. And so Zay stepped up to the challenge, and one day he shared his testimony during Bible study. 
So every kid in the camp heard the star basketball player share his testimony about his decision of why he follows Christ. Um, and that was just super cool just to see that a guy who came to know Christ just a couple years earlier through the basketball camp was now sharing um, about his faith with all, the, all these younger, younger kids. Well, during this whole process, Zay approached me and he said, Jessica, I want to go on an ISF trip. I said, okay, Zay. But the reality is, like, how is Zay going to raise $3,000 to go on an ISF project? Like, that's, you know, he's a college kid. And I, but I was like, Zay, okay. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. And I kind of just let it, let it lie a little bit. Well, he approached me again when we were in Lisbon. He's like, Jessica, I really want to go. I was like, all right, Zay, meet me for lunch next week. And we'll sit down. I'll help you write a support letter. And then we'll get that sent out, and we'll just kind of take it one step at a time. So Zay, I mean, you know, 19-year-old guy, he actually met me for lunch. So check one. Did a good job there. Um, we sat down. We had lunch. We talked. Um, he wrote his support letter uh, while I was sitting there with him. Um, so check number two. Good job. Second thing done. And I was like, okay, Zay, I'll take this home uh, back in America, and I'll mail it out for you. And I was like, but you need to work your contacts here in, in Lisbon and and you know, this is going to cost some money, and I need your, you to, to put some effort into this. And so he did. He worked his contacts. He followed up with people, um, and he raised the money uh, to be able to go. And so in June, um, Zay traveled to Southeast Asia with our ISF team um, on that basketball project um, and, and served um, as an ISF volunteer. And so it was just a sweet picture this summer to see um, a young kid who came to know Christ through an ISF project um, discipled and then went and served um, on an ISF project. And just to see that come full circuit, circle has just been a huge blessing uh, this week or this summer. Um, and just really what the heartbeat of ISF is. Not only do we want to go and share, but also be able to create disciples who will then also go out um, and share. And Zay tell, tells us that just like Portugal, like Lisbon, um, is so rooted in our hearts of those of us that go back every year, now... Southeast Asia, that country where, where he is, that's his Portugal. Um, and he's hoping that he also gets to, to have the opportunity uh, to, to go back. So, um, so just wanted to kind of share those stories uh, with you uh, today and uh, just give you that, that quick update. Um, thank you guys so much for your prayers and your support over the years. Um, I will be uh, finishing up six years with ISF this fall. Um, it has flown by, um, uh, but been just an, uh, an awesome opportunity to, to be a part of God's work, literally around the world um, in, in that way. And so you guys are a big part of that through your prayers um, and through your, your financial support. Um, uh, my prayer card, um, it's the same as it's been the last couple of years, but if you don't have one and would like one um, in order to just as a reminder to pray, my email address is also on the back. Um, I send out a monthly newsletter uh, just with an updated report and some prayer requests. So if you'd like to be added to that list, if you just want to pick up this card, I'll just set them in the, on the back welcome desk back there. Pick up a card, shoot me an email. I'll add you to that list. Um, and I definitely covet uh, your prayers uh, in that way. So thank you for letting me uh, kind of um, come and share to to cut in on uh, Ryan's uh, sermon this morning, uh, but it's great to see you guys, and um, I'll also be around if you're coming tonight to Christmas in August. I'm going to come crash uh, that, at least for the free food, so um, if I don't get a chance to, to catch up with you this morning, please come find me this afternoon, but thank you so much, um, and the Lord bless you.
Praise God, huh? Love stories like that. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be back here with God's Plan A. Do you guys know that you guys are God's Plan A, the local church? Ephesians 3.10 says that. I don't know. That terrifies me sometimes when I think about being God's Plan A, but but it is great to be with God's Plan A. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Ryan Butes, and my wife, uh, Emily Butes, uh, formerly Emily Lenderman, uh, is Jessica's uh, sister, and my oldest son, Chase, is here. Uh, Isley, Sienna, and Declan have had uh, better offers in uh, child care, so they chose that. But uh, yes, uh, we serve in Amsterdam. We've been in Amsterdam for the last four years, four, almost, almost four and a half years. Uh, and before that, we were in the Dominican Republic. So it is great to be back in the land of sunshine amongst the believers. It, it, it's wonderful to be here. As I was prepping for this morning uh, and, and what I was going to talk about, it dawned on me that in the next few minutes, and I promise it'll just be a few minutes, in the next few minutes, we're going to spend more time in the Word than most people alive today will do in their entire lifetime. And that's a really sobering thought when you think about there's 7 billion people on the face of the earth. Well, today what I wanted to talk about is prayer. And Prayer is an interesting thing because on the one hand, prayer is our weapon, right? Prayer is listed in in Ephesians under the armor of God. It's our weapon for for waging a battle on the world. But on the other hand, we really don't know how it works. Uh, We do know that it works, especially for those of us who've been on the mission field for any period of time. We can tell you prayer works. We see it all the time. We know when people are praying. We know when they're not because we see it uh, in our ministries, and so as I, was, I was trying to wrap my, my mind around, how do you explain, how can you talk about prayer if, if, if it's really hard to understand how it works? Uh, and I found something that I thought was a pretty good analogy. Now, let me preface this. Analogies are not perfect, okay? Those of you who are theology gurus in the room, you, you'll be able to poke holes in it. That's fine. I get that. But, 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 but I think the idea still, still holds. And if you think of a safe deposit box that you have in a bank, there are two keys that are necessary for that box. The bank holds on to one of the keys, and you hold on to one of those keys. And both of those keys are necessary to open it to find out what's inside. And in the same way, prayer kind of works like that, in that heaven holds one of those keys. Heaven holds the key of which uh, earthly, earthly affairs are decided or, or governed. And we hold the key by which those decisions are implemented. And I, and I really like that as I, as I came across that um, and trying to really understand how, how prayer works. The background of our story today that we're going to look at takes place in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, some of you are probably thinking, oh boy, where's he going with this? He serves in Amsterdam. Uh, don't worry, we're not going there. Um, but when you hear those words, I'm sure you have certain images that come to your mind about what those cities represented. Um, In Genesis chapter 13, it says that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were great sinners. Imagine if your city was listed in the Bible, only 13 chapters into the Bible, and you were known as great sinners. Um, That's not what I would want to be known for. Um, We also see in chapter 19, uh, the people there do some pretty terrible things to Lot's family. So so Sodom and Gomorrah just, just has this reputation in the Bible as a place of just great sin. Uh, I'm sure if I asked you guys to start thinking of some modern-day cities that maybe reminded you of a Sodom and Gomorrah, it would not be too difficult. Certain ones might come to mind. Uh, you might think of something, maybe a Las Vegas or maybe an Amsterdam. Uh, ironically enough, today uh, in Amsterdam, where we serve, is that the, the end of the 15-day Euro Pride Day. 
which is uh, about the most amount of debauchery I could ever even try to describe as to what happens during that time. Well, in one of these cities lived a guy named Lot. And you guys might remember that Lot was Abraham's nephew. And Abraham and Lot were going together for a while, and, and there came a time where they decided, you know what, I think it's best if we, if we split ways. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Let, let's split ways. Um, well, Lot went on to live in Sodom. And as I was reading over our story today, I asked myself, why was that? Why would Lot go to, to this city? And as I would do some studying and research, I came across some different um, hypotheses that people have. Uh, one guy said that he thought that, well, Lot was just selfish. You know, if you read in Genesis 13, when they split up, Lot goes, uh, I'm going to go to that green and fertile land over there. I'm going to take my flocks over there. See you, Abraham. So maybe he was just selfish. Uh, another theory is that maybe he had compromised. In, in, in Genesis 19, we see that Lot was sitting at the gate, and that was a position of power and authority in that time. And so uh, maybe he had kind of compromised some of his values in order to, to be in a place uh, where he had that, that uh, power and authority. Well, I think there might be a different uh, answer. If, if we read, you don't have to turn here. Uh, it's not our main text today. But if you read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, it's talking about God. It says, And if he rescued righteous Lot, who was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds and all that he saw and heard. In two verses... Lot is called righteous three times. That, that's significant. That's kind of like a big neon flashing sign. So if it says that Lot was righteous and that he was distressed by the evil deeds that he saw, could it be possible that maybe Sodom was Lot's mission field? The Bible doesn't specifically say that, and I could be wrong. But I would look at it as he spent a lot of time with Abraham, and so I'm sure he heard about the one true God from Abraham. We know that he was righteous and distressed by their sin. And in Genesis 19, when it's time to go, he doesn't want to leave. I think that Lot was there to share about the one true God. Well, today our story is going to take place in Genesis chapter 18. And let me set the backdrop of what's going on. In the beginning of Genesis chapter 18, we have three men coming to the door of Abraham's tents. And Abraham sees these three men, and as is his custom of the day, he says, Hey, come on in. Let me feed you. Let me clothe you. It's a, let me wash your feet. It's a, it's a hot day. Come on inside. And so the travelers come in, and during this meal, it becomes clear that one of these three men was the Lord himself in human form. And our text is going to begin when these three men get up to leave. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 18 in your Bibles. We're going to start with verse 16. If your Bible's on your smartphone and you've got multiple translations, I'm going to read out of the ESV. But if, if not, that's, that's okay too. It's the Word of God. So I'm going to read uh, verses 16 through 33. It says, Then the men set out from there, and they looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And all the nations of this earth will be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, 
I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned to leave there, and they went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near, and he said, Lord, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare the same as the wicked? Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the entire place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes, but suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And again, he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to the Lord and he said, suppose 40 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, Lord, don't be angry at me. But and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Uh, suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, O oh Lord, don't be angry with me. I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went on his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. I love this story because Abraham is talking directly to God. He is interceding directly with God. This, in his, at its core, is prayer. Now, if you're like me and you're big on closure, this story is really hard <laughs> because Abraham has got God on the ropes. He started at 50 and 45 and 40, 30, 20, 10, and then he says, all right, I'll call it a day. We're done. See you, God. I'm out of here. Why does he do that? I don't know. Maybe he thought that there was at least 10 righteous people in all of Sodom. He thought surely there couldn't be less. Maybe he thought Lot's family size was, was, was 10. The Bible doesn't tell us. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter because there was not 10 righteous people found in all of Sodom. So in this story today, the reason I chose this story is there are several things that are very practical for our prayer life today that, uh, that we can pull out of this story. The first one is that Abraham boldly approached God. In verse 25, he says, far be it from you, God. I mean, that's a really strong language, right? Far be it from you, God. And yet, during all of his bargaining with God, he, he still shows reverence and humility. He uses phrases like, I who am but dust and ashes, and oh, Lord, be not angry. Now, I'm sure you don't use vocabulary like that in your prayers, but if you're looking at this, this text, that is a, a, a form of reverence and humility. He's recognizing, you're God, and I'm not. <laughs> as he's interceding for Lot. And it dawned on me that we don't really oftentimes uh, approach God the way that Abraham did here. I think we tend to be leery about questioning or, or negotiating with God. Um, sometimes it could seem disrespectful or, or maybe even sacrilegious uh, to question God uh, about certain things. But, but the Bible is full of examples of people like that. I mean, Abraham is one. If you ever want to see a, a great story about that, read the book of Job. Job had all kinds of things about God. But both of these guys, when they, were, when they were approaching God boldly, always did so with reverence and humility. And I think that that's key. 
Um, the flip side of that is that I think it's important to remember that Abraham was not bargaining with God. Uh, I think uh, bargaining shows a, a faulty understanding of what God desires. Abraham didn't say, Lord, what about uh, 20? I'll give you 10 more sacrifices. If you go from 20 to 10, I'll, I'll give you more offerings. I'll give you uh, um, my firstborn uh, uh, sheep and my secondborn. He didn't do that. Instead, he appealed to, to God's character, God's sense of righteousness and justice. He showed that he understood what was important to God. It wasn't what he could, he could do. It wasn't what Abraham could do. It was, what, it was who God was. The second thing that really stands out that I think is applicable for us is that Abraham won't take yes for an answer. <laughs> God says, okay, I'll give you that. And Abraham says, thanks, but I want more. He is so desperate for God to save the righteous in Sodom that he is not satisfied with a simple yes. And he pushes and he pushes. And I wonder, do we approach God that same way? Do we approach God as if the life of our friend is determined by our prayers the way that Abraham does? And what would my prayer life look like if I didn't take yes for an answer? If I didn't settle for that first yes? If when I pray and pray for my friend Chaba to accept the Lord, if I didn't stop as soon as he made the Lord uh, his Savior, but I didn't stop until his entire family's name was written in that book of life, what would my prayer life look like if I didn't take yes for the first answer? The third thing that I wanted to, to point out is that it's interesting to note that this battle for Lot's life is taking place behind the scenes. We all know what firemen and policemen and soldiers do, and, and, and we see them all the time. But the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah had no idea that three people, Abraham, Lot, and God, stood between them and total destruction. And it's the same for, for what we've seen in Amsterdam. There are many people in this very room who've pr prayed for Chris and Chaba and Bianca and Paul and Hussam and Lanika and many others. And they have no idea that you guys are doing it. But we see how their lives are changing because of it. And if you ever want to do an interesting biblical study on that idea, look at the lives of Moses or Abraham or Elijah or Ezra or Nehemiah or Daniel and look at how much the nation of Israel owed to their prayers. It's shocking. The fourth one that really stood out to me is that Abraham's plea was that God spared the entire city, sinners and all. And I think that that's a fantastic example for us in our day today because it's really easy for us to see cities or maybe even people groups that are really steeped in sin and we see their downfall coming and it's real easy to say, well, you know what? They're getting what they deserve. And maybe that's true. Maybe they do get what they deserve. But are we pausing like Abraham to plead for their souls? Do we recall also like Abraham that we are guilty sinners just like they are? And have we forgotten how much mercy God has shown us? What if we replace the sinners of Sodom with a modern-day example? What about cities where, where ISIS has, has completely taken over the city or, or, or places where Muslim extremists are active or cities that are known for militant atheists? Or what about certain neighborhoods that have pockets of sin where, where, where there's um, pedophiles or, or something like that where, 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 where you just don't go to that part of town? Are we interceding for them the way that Abraham did? Or what about those that persecute... Pray for per those who persecute Christians. I'm sure there are many people in this room today that prayed for Pastor Saeed Abedini as he was in an Iranian prison for three years. I'm sure there are several of you. But how many prayed for his captors? That those that were torturing him every day would have 
been able to hear about the saving power of Jesus and find their name written in the book of life? Do we pray for them the same way that Abraham does? Or do we write them off as getting what they deserved? Which is actually what you and I deserve if you really think about it. Now, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm I'm including me. This is a collective we. (laughs) This is not a you. This is a collective we. The fifth thing that I wanted to point out and that I see in this story is that God wants to be approached. So often we think that God is so busy running the world. You turn on the news and it's just bad stuff everywhere. And you think, wow, God, you've got your hands full. You really don't have time to hear from me. But yet we see in the story that God wants to be approached. If he didn't want to be approached, why did he tell Abraham everything he was going to do? He wanted Abraham to approach him. Never, never think that God is too busy for your prayers. In fact, God not only wants to be approached, but I would argue that prayer must be part of our DNA if we bear the name of Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate prayer warrior. If you look at the book of Luke, it is filled with prayer. We see prayer at the birth of John the Baptist, at the baptism of Jesus, at the temptation in the desert. In Luke 5, Jesus withdraws to pray after healing a leper. In Luke 6, Jesus prays before calling the apostles. In Luke 9, he prays before the transfiguration and the miracle of feeding 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus prays for the laborers of the harvest. In Luke 11, Jesus prays the model prayer. In Luke 18, through the parable of the persistent widow, we are taught to continue in prayer and not give up. In Luke 19, 21, and 22, he's teaching the disciples to pray when they're under attack and in times of temptation. And in Luke 23, he prays for the forgiveness of his murderers as his last words. Prayer is not an add-on to the Christian walk. Prayer is in our DNA. So we've looked at how Abraham interceded for Lot. We're going to skip through uh, the first scene of of the three men when they go into Sodom and and what happens. I'm sure everybody's familiar with that. Um, We're going to skip through that and we're going to skip down to Genesis chapter 19, verses 23. So Abraham has interceded for Lot. Lot uh, went through some really tough time (laughs) uh, in Sodom. He was under attack. Eventually, he was able to escape towards uh, and he's heading towards a land called Zoar. And that's where our story is going to pick up. In Genesis 19, verse 23, it says, The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities, and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and all that grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley, And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham. And he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities that Lot had lived in. So we see in verse 27 that Abraham went back to the very place that he had interceded for Lot. It uh, was a place called Mamre, which is west of the Dead Sea and north of Hebron. Um, and south of Bethlehem, it's this oak grove uh, on this hillside. That was his quiet place. That was, that was his war room, if you've seen the movie. Uh, that was where he interceded with Lot, or interceded for Lot with God. And in verse 29, we see why Lot was spared. An individual, actually three individuals, are spared on the sole basis of one person interceding for them, and they don't even know it. They haven't the foggiest idea what's going on. 
Guys, if you've ever wondered if your prayers make a difference, if you've ever wondered, is it even worth it to pray? If you've ever given up and said, I prayed for that for so many years and God didn't answer, there's just no point, take a look at verse 1929. Circle it in your Bibles. Highlight it in your Bibles. Print it out and put it on your bathroom mirror so you see it every day. God answers our prayers, guys. On a side note, if you've ever wrestled with that, like I have, one thing that really helped me was when a friend recommended making a prayer journal. Now, I hear that word journal, and I tune out. I'm like, no, I'm not a writer. I don't do that. But it's a simple notebook, and it's got three columns. The date I started praying, what the prayer request was, and the date God answered. And in those days when Satan starts going, hey, you've been praying for that for a really long time. God hasn't really answered. Does he really even answer your prayers? Why do you waste your time every morning? You could get an extra half an hour of sleep if you didn't wake up to pray. What's the point of praying? And when those days come, and they do, I pull out that little notebook, and I start going back through the years. And all these things that I've forgotten that I'd prayed for, you know, Uncle Fred to get a job, Aunt Susie to be healed from her sickness, all of those things, I go through and I see that God has faithfully answered all of them. And it's just been a real encouragement to me. If that's something that you wrestle with, I would encourage you to, to think about something like that. Okay, back to the story. Uh, the keynote, the, the thesis statement, what I'm trying to get at this whole story today is that Abraham had Lot's back. We see it first in Genesis 14 when Lot gets kidnapped and Abraham has to go and rescue him and, and get all of his treasures back and, and get them all set up again. And then we see it here before, uh, here again, that Abraham had Lot's back. Whose back do you have? Some of you here tonight have had our backs in Amsterdam in the Dominican Republic. You can come back tonight and hear more about that. Some of you have had Jessica's back. Who is it that you are arguing for God to save? Who are you constantly and and, and, and continually asking God just one more time to save the same way that Abraham did. Is it for your kids or your grandkids, your family, your friends, your missionaries, a Brazilian pastor who needs it, Zay? Who is it that you are constantly and, 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 and passionately asking God to save for just one more time? Or do you only pray maybe for your own needs? One of the toughest reality checks I ever had once was when a friend asked me to look at my percentage of prayer requests that were for me versus for other people. It was an ouch moment. What about your city? Are you praying for your city the way that Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah? We sang about that today, right? I lift up Ridgecrest. That was one of the lines in one of the songs. Are we praying for our cities? What about your lost neighbor? Research shows that out of 100 neighbors in your typical American community, so however many houses around you take 100 people, three of them are grieving the death of a loved one, seven are struggling with depression, and many of those seven are considering suicide, 14 feel trapped by fear and anxiety, eight have lost their jobs, seven are addicted to drugs and alcohol, and 60 profess to be not born again. I would say it's probably even higher than that. Are you interceding for these people? Are, 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 are you interceding? God, give me opportunities to share your hope, your love with these people. Are there people who would notice a change in their life if you were to stop praying for them? Maybe pastors who'd be less effective in their ministries or missionaries who'd be less effective in their evangelism efforts. 
or non-believers who would find themselves moving further from God instead of closer to God. You hear the stories about people like the mother who prayed for 60 years for her her lost son to know Jesus. And and the week before she passes away, she gets the phone call that that he's now a follower of Jesus. And you hear the the, the stories of uh, like missionaries that are in Africa who are surrounded by the cannibals. And and they find out later that God's deliverance was timed at the exact same moment that there's a prayer meeting that's going on back home. Guys, those those are the Abrahams. Those are the people that are interceding for God for, for, for these people. And each and every one of us needs an Abraham. I don't care who you are. You need an Abraham. And if you carry the name of Jesus, you need to be an Abraham as well. And so as I close today, my parting thought to you would be, as you leave away from here, is who am I an Abraham for? Who do I know in my life? Who has God put in my life that needs me to be their Abraham? And if you don't have that name, maybe that's your first prayer request is God. Who do I need to be Abraham for? Who do I need to be interceding for? And I promise you, he'll give you a name. So let me close in prayer. Father God, Lord, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for this story, Lord. I thank you that you want us to approach you, that you are not a far and distant God, but you want us to approach you boldly, Father. I thank you for that. I thank you that uh, that you answer prayers, God, the way that we saw that you saved Lot and and his daughters, Father. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you've given us the power of prayer, Father. It's an incredible thing. God, I pray for every single person in this room this morning and in the other room next door, God. I pray that you would put on their hearts who they can be an Abraham for, Father, that you would make that clear. And God, I pray that you would bring an Abraham into their life as well, somebody who is interceding for them passionately to you, God. We love you, God, and we thank you for all of your blessings you've given us. In your name I pray, amen.